I mentioned in a previous podcast that love and hate were both forms of concentration. And the opposite of love, in that sense, is indifference. Now, we are, and has been said, we are what we concentrate on. And I would say not that we are what we concentrate on, but that what we concentrate on becomes where our energy is, and that disguises the real self, which is hidden underneath all that. In other words, to have access to the real self, we have to remove the thoughts and the things we concentrate on. Uh, Rumi, the Sufi poet, said that we are a hidden treasure and he alluded to a treasure that had been buried in a ruin or in a house, and the house has to be turned into a ruin so that we can dig down and find the treasure in there. Now, if you listen to many or read the books of many of the um, spiritual self-help teachers, such as Eckhart Tolle, they will give you techniques and they will talk about how you should quieten the mind in order to have a, real, a, a view of the world that isn't taken up with basically the crap. Now, for Eckhart Tolle and people like that, that is the end result, to have that quiet mind. As far as spiritual seekers like I'm concerned, I would say, no, that's not the end, that's just the beginning. You can't do the spiritual journey, you can't even put the first step on it until you've at least got some control over those chaotic thoughts that go through the mind. Now, these thoughts and this energy, as I've said, can take the form of love, it can take the form of hate, uh, I've said in the past that if your thoughts keep returning to the past, you, there's a tendency to become depressed. We think about how things were better in the past or the regrets we have and so on. If the thoughts continuously return turn to the future, we become anxious and it can happen to the point where we're incapable even of uh, taking action because our mind is so bound up with the infinite possibilities. There's an exercise I give anxious people where they sit down and I put a pen across the room on a table and I tell them that the instruction is to get up out the chair and... Um, pick the pen up and go back to the chair. It sounds very straightforward. But I tell them that before they do that, they have to plan exactly every movement precisely that they're going to do. And I've had many times where the people will sit there and it's unable to move. Because you usually do these things automatically, and if you rely on the automatic process, it all works. 
the problems come when we start thinking about things too much. And this is the essence of anxiety. We have to stop thinking, bring ourselves back and just trust that things will work out, that we do what we have to do and it will all come right. What's bound up with a lot of anxiety, of course, is how we appear to other people. And if we are able to step back from our thoughts, and this is the key, because before we can stop our thoughts, we have to step back from them, to observe them. I talk about this as the thoughts being on the left side of the brain and our observing status is on the right side of the brain. So we have to move from the doing part of the brain to the being part of the brain. And from that being part, from that right side, we can observe our thoughts. And if you're able to do that, you'll find and you'll realise how much of your time is spent complaining inwardly about other people, about other situations, about um, justifying yourself, justifying what you did, and, you know, and in a way hiding from your own thoughts, because when we justify ourselves, we're not facing up to our thoughts. We're trying to pretend that um, we don't have thoughts and the problems we have are due to something else, other people or an outside situation and so on. Of course, coming from a religious point of view, in effect, you're blaming God. You're saying, God did this to me or God did that to me. And it's ironic that many atheists, they joke about it, but they, they blame God for being in a situation. When you understand how much of your energy is spent in blaming other people, blaming a situation, justifying yourself or so on. You can understand how this blocks access to the authentic self. I've spoken before about authenticity and being authentic to yourself and what cuts us off from authenticity is when we cut off from that natural feeling, which is actually the relationship we have with our conscience. And our conscience is that link with God. So, the more we conform to what other people want, and the more we worry about what other people think, the more cluttered the mind comes, the more busy the mind comes, and the more we cut ourselves off from what's natural and which can take us on that journey to the divine. And one of the aspect of modern society, and this is becoming more prevalent in the last few years, is that people are told to cut themselves off from what's natural. They're told that science is correct and we should do what's logical. And um, if we get a bad feeling about something, you know, such as gay people or 
you know, or, or transsexuals or something like that, then we're uh, we're intolerant, we're homophobic, we're racist, or whatever current word they want to use. I saw a little clip on YouTube of an interview with a couple of college students, and they were showing a woman who was obviously obese. And they were asked to rate this uh, woman in attractiveness from, you know, 1 to 10. And they said, oh, she's a 10. Now, the reason they did this, and it became apparent as the interview went on, was because this was what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to be accepting and, and, and so on. So they, oh, they bypassed their normal reaction to these things. And normally what they think of as being attractive and, and replaced it by a modern conformity, but what they're told to think. Now, of course, this introduces stress because we're always having to analyze and question ourselves. Now, there's nothing wrong with questioning yourself, but you have to question yourself in the right way. They're not questioning themselves and say, is this right according to my conscience? They're questioning themselves to say, is this what other people will approve of? So they're constantly looking over their shoulder as to what other people think. And in one sense, they don't know what other people think. Think, You know, when you're in a party or you're with a group of people, people get very concerned with how they, uh, how they think other people think of them, but they don't know what other people think. You're trying to hit a moving target. You don't know what they're really thinking about you at all. And these people they're thinking not just about what other people think of who are the sort of there present but as a general uh, view of society am I conforming to what society expects of me now you may think that having started down this road of uh, being anxious and looking around and questioning what other people think the easiest thing would be to turn around and say well who cares what other people think um, let's do what feels right for me. But that's not how it works. It's not how it works in practice. Once people start down this road, they become uh, religious um, in the sense that the doctrine, the, um, the way of thinking, becomes so ingrained in them that they would argue and resent anybody who tries to upset it. Because even though it's very difficult to try and monitor yourself as to what other people think. It is, for these people, even more difficult to remove the assumptions that they've got in their mind um, because it's like falling over the abyss. They've got, they've got nothing. They've got nothing they can put their feet on. If you can turn around and say, well, this is science and people have told me it's science, this is what I should believe, life becomes, in that sense, easier. This is true of all well, the way people follow most religions, you know, the the um, you know Christians who become very dogmatic, atheist, of course, atheism in that sense is really a religion, um, and all these doctrines, you know, communism, all these things, are feminism, everything can be explained to the feminists in terms of men oppressing women, and this is the whole view of history, and if you took that away and said, well, actually, it's far more complicated than that. Then you've you've thrown them over the over the edge of the cliff. They don't know they've got no foundation, um, so they have to fall back on what they they believe, and they will argue 
and shout down anybody who goes against these views. Now, if you meet people who have um, obviously, you know, somebody's obviously got a pattern of behavior, um, and many people you might point out this pattern of behavior, and they will get extremely annoyed. They will get quite upset with you. They will deny it, even though it's blatantly obvious to everybody else. And this is a similar kind of thinking. They are trapped in this, and if you take that away from them, they're suddenly exposed. They don't know uh, all their assumptions are upset. They don't have anywhere to, uh, any basis for their thoughts. And this is quite disarming for most people. So people would, will argue against even what is obvious. And I've, argue, I've said many, many times that um, atheists are arguing against what's quite obvious and they are subscribing to views which, when you analyze them, are quite ridiculous. But they never analyze them. They simply will tell you that this is science and you should look on the web and look at websites, none of which really examine the important processes. Um, and so they build crap upon crap upon crap. And this is really the state of modern society. The internet has allowed people to become more polarized, the more ingrained in their thinking, and um, shut themselves off to any kind of discussion or to anything that's different. Even though there's information out there which will argue against you people don't read it I've offered it to people or from my writings to people and said well have a look at this and atheists aren't interested it's not that they will argue they will read it and disagree they simply won't read it they don't want to look at anything that goes against their opinions so at any moment we have to ask ourselves not am I doing this but how am I doing this am I trying to defend something I said Am I trying to justify my opinion? Am I simply reasserting things that I take for granted and not looking at alternatives? Am I making assumptions about things or people? Look at the conversation that goes on in your mind and step back from it. I talk about moving from the left thinking side of the brain to the right observing side of the brain observe the thoughts that are going on in your mind and you will find that most of them are just nonsense a lot of the time we get caught up in just the day-to-day um, things that go on but even at that level um, we try and um, anticipate conversations we have but when we anticipate these conversations what are you doing are you actually planning what you're going to say or are you trying to justify yourself or you think back to things that have happened in the past and what are you trying to do there you're you're not learning from your mistakes most people don't you're simply going over them in order to justify what you said or um think about how other people were wrong when they said this or that or so on. If you step back from rights and wrongs and justifications, all these thoughts that go through the mind are just nonsense. Most of the planning we do in our mind is just nonsense. Things don't happen in the way they think we think we, they will. They never do. 
So like this example I gave earlier of walking down a road and you say, oh, you go to the house that's not a house and you, you can't think about that in advance. It's not going to get you anywhere. It's easy to reject such a apparently nonsense phrase um, simply because we can't solve it logically. And I often say of a lot of problems that we have, you won't solve them by thinking about them. You solve them by not thinking, by stepping back from the problem and allowing your mind and your brain to solve it itself. And in order to do that, we have to hold in our minds simultaneously apparently conflicting opinions. And I've talked about this before. It's very important that we allow these opinions and or views, really. They're not opinions. They're simply different ways of looking at things to go on in our mind because we're not in a position to accept or reject any of them. We have to simply allow them to go coexist. And in time, we start to see a bigger picture. And I've talked before about two ways of learning. The Western-style left-brain learning and the uh, what you might call the Eastern-style right-brain learning. Although I don't think they do it in the East now. In the left-brain learning, which is how most people learn, they learn one fact and then they learn another fact, then they learn another fact, then they <clears throat> go on, you know, adding all these facts or pieces of information together, and then they do an exam which says, "Do you have you learned or you remember to control the testicular memory?" Uh, these pieces of information, and when you get to that certain point, you then go on to next basis stages of information, which build up on what you think you've already understood. A better way of understanding things is this right brain way of learning. And my metaphor here is to imagine like as a, a map, a huge map of a, of a city, an aerial view, as it were, of a city. And yet it's out of focus. We can see generally aspects of that city. We can see, you know, there's a part of this looks green, this looks like it's park, that looks like it's industrial, this and so on, there's blue here and so on. And when we want to concentrate on a particular part of the city, we look up the, you know, what looks like the housing part and we, we start homing in on it. It becomes more and more into focus. And we can focus down and down and down until we can see each street name and maybe even each house number. But we always have the big view. We're always seeing how that fits in context and we see the whole picture of it. We, you know, the Western style would be to start at the left-hand side of the map and learn all the street names or something or some characteristics and work your way from left to right. But you've got no real understanding of this, of how the city functions, of what it does. This is how doctors work. They learn in a very sequential way about a particular aspect of the body, but they have no holistic idea of how the body works or how the mind and the body relate together. Thank you for listening. 
you can email me phil at graham.net you can look at my website philip with one l dot graham dot net graham is b-r-a-h-a-m and if you send an email put podcast